Welcome to the Remedial Film Class Halloween Special. As Travis and George try to convince me that movies that they like are actually better than the 1978 Halloween. Witness as I destroy them with arguments. <laughs> to celebrate John Carpenter's classic as the best possible movie for you to watch tonight. Uh, that will be my stance is, you know, the movie you propose is not the right choice. Tonight, you should be watching Halloween instead, and I will tell you why any movie is not the right movie tonight. You need to watch Halloween 78. Well, hold on Wait, a second. Wait, that was not the argument. I feel like you have moved the goalposts <laughs> yeah, on a... us significantly, because on Halloween, Clearly, evil dies tonight. I, on Halloween, I believe, Dan, that... This is the best movie yes. to watch on Absolutely. Halloween. Let me uh, clarify that you can listen to this episode on Christmas. You can listen to this episode on April 15th if you want tax day tax and day. still know that the arguments stand true. So yes, ironically, coincidentally, it is Halloween when we launch this episode, but I'm not concerned that these arguments wouldn't hold the same weight any other day of the calendar year. All right, then let's have at it. Okay. Hit me All with your right. best shot. Fire away. Away. Wait, isn't that the song no longer being sung? <laughs> um, I think the movie I would say would be the best argument is Alien. And I have to say, when I think about what is good about Halloween, now, you threw the curveball being on Halloween, obviously, I would watch Halloween on Halloween. But April 15th, but as, April 15th, if, if tax day. April 15th, and I watched Alien, I would say this movie is better than Halloween because, even though I love Halloween, uh, I look at characters, I look at story, I look at nuance and execution of fear and claustrophobia, and the the set design, the creature design, the the haunted house aspect, the shadows, the um, corridors, like everything that is scary about Halloween is equally and or more scary about Alien. The suspense is better. Ooh. The characters are definitely better. Subjective. No, I, Okay, it's subjective, but I think I think I think Alien relies more on suspense than Halloween does. So therefore, I think the suspense is more of a character in Alien than it is in Halloween. Uh, suspense is probably the bigger, the biggest aspect of Alien. It's not so much gore. It's not horror. It's not not even really science fiction. It's it's suspense, what, what you're not seeing, uh, what you see at the last second. Everything about Alien is, is more uh, A-class. And, and I think Halloween kind of suffers from being a low budget and being you know, you know, 12, 15 people on crew. And you know, the, the art director and the, the set designer is also the guy that's making lunch runs and probably helping with script direction and all that stuff so i think that doesn't play into my my decision because alien is obviously higher budget and the director is way more experienced at the time 
script is more complex, the characters are more complex, there's more characters. So, yeah, I think all those things would make Alien a better movie. Now, for Halloween, no, I'm going to no, watch Halloween. But for April 15th. But for April 15th, I think Hall- I think Alien is a better movie. I tried to pick something that was kind of in the same genre because Alien is kind of a a giallo in space, if you will. Yeah. I mean, you do know who the killer is the whole time, but you're really not sure what it is, what it looks like, what it's going to do, how, it's be- capable how it of. behaves, what it's capable of. Uh, every every minute you know this character, the more mystery there is about this character. Uh, its own biology becomes its horror. Its biology becomes its weapon. There's just so much about that movie, I think. It's a good argument. Are you going to say yes? Probably not. But I think it holds up. Well, if he just rolled over and gave up, this wouldn't be a very right. good episode. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing about Alien. Uh, you say it's good because of the suspense, and it is a suspenseful movie. But you and you specifically downplayed the gore of the movie and the sci-fi nature of the movie. And right away, I'm going to say this is a gory sci-fi movie that is also suspenseful. And yeah. for me, that's a demerit just personally because I'm not a big sci-fi fan. Like it, It's a hurdle I have to overcome. It is the subtitles of our time for me, right? Like, as Travis doesn't like subtitles when he watches a movie, I don't like sci-fi when I watch a movie. So it has to be a hurdle that I clear to get past that to watch the movie. And just like there are good enough movies to get Travis to watch subtitled movies, this is a good enough movie to get me to watch it, even though it is sci-fi. But it takes more effort, personally, for me to get excited to watch the movie. Once we're there, once the movie has begun, the thing I would point to is the audience-limiting gore and violence in Alien versus the nuanced, underplayed, barely visible on-screen violence in Halloween. And I think that when we talk about the Jasonification of Michael Myers and what that does to the franchise and the loss of nuance... It's also an increase in brutality, like an active, affirmative increase in the brutality of the character. Whereas in the original Halloween, you can show that movie, even unedited, to an 11 or 12 year old kid and just be like, hey, there's a couple of boobs in this movie. So just be prepared for that. It's it's not traumatic to the audience in the way that a gory violent movie like a Jason movie or the alien movie with the chest burst and the blood in the guts, right? Like there's something, there's an advantage to the original Halloween in the underplayed violence that you lose when you compare it even to a Friday the 13th, where suddenly you go from an 11 or 12 year old kid to like, well, you probably ought to be 14, 15, 16 before you really like delve into all these very violent movies and alien, I would say suffers from that. So unfortunately, on tax day, I'm still watching Halloween. I'm still showing Halloween to most people because I don't have to worry about my audience as much. Well, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't see it as violent gore. Okay. Well, 
let's let's leave it up to okay. the listener to decide whether Dan is successful or not. Okay. Because you you guys aren't gonna agree. No. I, I mean, we could go back and forth. But I love Halloween too, so it's, I'm I'm not trying to change his mind. Well, I. So you go. My turn. First of all, I have to say it is it is very difficult to find. We at first we said ten movies. It's very difficult to find ten movies that are better than Halloween. I love Halloween. It's great. It's a fantastic movie. Is it's it fantastic? Per- is it perfect? No. no, but it is also it's it it pains me to criticize it. So, with that said, uh, Dan, you don't like sci-fi that's fine you don't like you know you like the understated uh gore not as much gore right unless it's faulty how about a movie that has all of the uh brilliant you know massive undertaking to shoot it's shot beautifully. It's the, you know, just like in Halloween, the town is a character. The the location of this movie is also a character. But the suspense happens more in isolation. The Shining. Mm. The Shining is a hell of a movie. Mm-hmm. It's gorier, but not much. The thing about think, the shining, I think it's bloody but not gory. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. There's it, no there's, limbs. It's it's certainly disturbing yeah. at times, but a lot of the blood is kind of, uh, not supernatural, but like in the minds. Mm-hmm. So it's not really gory. I, it yeah, it's bloody. not gory. Yes. Yeah. A lot of blood, gory. not a lot of gore. There is that rotting lady. Yep, that's yeah. the one I was thinking of. Which that's is kind of the know, most disturbing part, I think. Kind of gory, uh, not gory, gross. And the death of of the shy, the sh- but wait, I mean, is that really a bad thing though? No, no, it's just so he takes that axe right to, the, like it's pretty. Uh, yeah, the <laughs> axe is, is brutal, but yeah. you know, I would say the brutality of Halloween versus the brutality of The Shining. The only difference really is the lighting. You know, uh, when mm-hmm. uh, the groundskeeper guy gets killed, it's in you know full view, full light. And that's a it's an effective scene because it is so just jarring and violent. The thing that would slow me down to say that The Shining is as good as Halloween, because I wouldn't say it's better. You know, at best you're playing for a tie here. Uh, the thing about The Shining, it's kind of a narrative mess in places. Uh, the ending okay. loses a lot of people uh, because you. You didn't earn the ending of The Shining. Halloween, narratively, I think the original one, on the face of it, earns everything that it does. And not only does it earn the final ending, which is equally as powerful to The Shining, but a lot more sensical. uh, The thing about the Halloween ending and the way that they crescendo to it, you're telling yourself as a 70s audience, that should be enough. Well, that should be enough. Well, that should be enough. And then when he gets up and he's gone at the end, what you've been through with him and with Laurie and this repeated 
you know, physical punishment that he's endured and then the bullet wounds and he still gets up. It's not a non sequitur. And if it seemed like at the time you were watching it for the first time that it was some kind of unexpected twist, if you went back and thought about it, you'd be like, well, they, I mean, he did take the needle and he did take the knife and he did get shot a lot. Like, you know, you can see the evidence that he was more than human building up throughout the movie and just the the reason it would be a big twist at the end was because you hadn't let yourself acknowledge that the evidence was pointing toward him being supernatural as opposed to being human. Uh, juxtapose that with the ending of The Shining, where suddenly he's in a photograph, maybe? That should mm. have been there the whole time. Yeah. And it's just like, what are we doing here, guys? Like, where did our, where did our uh, attention to the narrative and source material go? Why are we here? Why is this picture here? It's intentionally yes. confusing to the point that it feels unsuccessful. I I agree. Um however, I I feel like what it, it the shining suffers from that um that kind of that subplot or that just kind of feeling that you the feeling that uh Nicholson has been there before. Yeah. Or whatever. Which you uh, could earn that. You know, you yeah, could but spend the whole I, movie I would... building to that if you wanted that to be your big ending, but they don't do that. Right. No, I'd rather cut it. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Honestly. And have everything else about The Shining as, you know, happen, happen the way it happens. And it's a perfect movie. With, uh, with Halloween, it also suffers from some deficiencies that are mostly... Mm, continuity for yeah. me the deficiencies in halloween are the kind of deficiencies that if you are interested in filmmaking you can write off as you know inherent to the budget and time constraints of an independent movie yes but you could say like that about a lot of movies that are unsuccessful and the thing about halloween's deficiencies as far as continuity go for an un initiated viewer on a first watch they've hidden the mistakes in plain sight in a lot of ways in the editing room to the point that it might take you the second watch before you realize why were they in the car for three hours and the alarms been going off for nine you know the stuff that they managed what they cobbled together in editing from the limited footage they had created enough of a cohesive story that you can keep the action moving and kind of distract the audience from your flaws. And and I would say that you have to make a conscious effort to just overlook it and enjoy the movie when you're watching Halloween. Yeah. But in Shining, like, these light switches keep moving, and I just can't figure it out. Well, see, that's because The Shining <laughs> is... is theory. The Shining is not what you think it is on first watch at all. And it isn't until someone introduces you to, and you are receptive to, the Wendy theory that you really appreciate <laughs> The Shining. I, I think the biggest issue with The Shining is it's a it's the classic too many chefs in the kitchen. You have a Stephen King book, which is probably pretty perfect in its own. Yeah, I like the movie. Well, I mean, but I mean, <laughs> when you end. think, no, movie aside, movie aside, it's considered 
a classic Stephen King story. It's not what was filmed. Not at all. So you're not even basically close. getting two versions of The Shining in one movie because you're getting Kubrick's interpretation uh. of the book with his added stuff from the script and then the underlying undertone possibility of a third injection of an idea that could or could not be there. Oh, so it's a 100% I'm just, I'm being I'm being a devil's advocate here. I believe that it was done purposely. So that makes it three movies because that's what makes the ending so confusing because it's not the ending from the book per se. The book is just a ghost story at face value. It's just a ghost story. With some really odd supernatural elements in the third act. Right. The movie touches on the ghost story, makes the hotel kind of possessed in a way of these, or haunted. Yeah. But also kind of touches on reincarnation and or purgatory. Like there's this whole idea of him always being there. The 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 greenskeeper before him or the, the hotel watcher yeah. before him killed his family because he went insane, but they're all still there. Are they ghosts? Was he always there? Like there's a whole weird thing going on there. It makes it very complex and very interesting. And makes it a constant watch. Like you can watch that movie five times and see five different movies if you really want. That's what makes it awesome. That was one of my other movies I was gonna suggest. So when you said it, I was like, okay. Um But the Wendy theory is the deciding factor for me. If that was done purposely, and if all that is really there I believe it was. Which I believe it is then that makes that movie leaps and bounds beyond the book and leaps and bounds beyond Halloween because of the complexity of it and the the ballsiness of doing that like i okay, selling so, it as jack nicholson as the possessed or the uh, the mm-hmm. the haunted character mm-hmm. and then when you're watching the movie believing that the son is the actual focal point of this but then at the end you find out they were always there and then the third theory is Wendy actually is the insane one and everything else is happening in her head. Mm-hmm. That, to me, makes it a, a pretty damn good movie. So I think Kubrick, he, he took the book The Shining and said, this is hot garbage, and threw it out the window, and he made a movie which was his. Mm-hmm. Like, there is... I forget the uh I was like watching a YouTube video or whatever. There's a there's a specific point where like in the book they're r- driving in say for example in a yellow car. Mm-hmm. Whatever. And in Kubrick's movie in the first scene you see a yellow car on the side of the road crashed because that's him saying this ain't going to be like the book people. Mm-hmm. It's it's not. And that's why Stephen King hates the movie. And that's why Stephen King <laughs> right. hates the movie. But it's it's Kubrick's. It's not Stephen King's. It's Kubrick's. Right. Which in a lot of ways Kubrick. sounds like the Rob Zombie version of Halloween. Yeah. Kind of. But but, but good. <laughs> yeah, but uh right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh so the thing is, I think that from what you've told me of the Wendy theory, it's a bunch of bullshit. 
It's not though. because it depends on from what you said, something being relayed to Wendy on a phone call that we see explicitly, but the information being relayed via that phone call is not seen explicitly. So if it was the linchpin of the story, why isn't it part of the phone call that we see? So that from the, from the face of it, right at the outset, I'm just like, okay, well, it's, it's a fun theory, but it's bullshit because it's not in the movie and it would be in the movie if it was part of the movie. If you were to allow for that kind of information, the information that isn't in the movie, but could affect the outcome of the movie as a hypothetical, a proposed, you know, alternate viewing of The Shining as if this thing happened, but it didn't. But what if it did? How would it affect things? That's a fine exercise, but that doesn't mean it's in the text of the movie, even if coincidentally later points of the plot could be connected by this thing that's not in the movie because it's not not in the movie. Well, however, Wendy's, in, Wendy's insanity cannot be uh cannot be front and center on the nose because you have the point of the shining is to watch the movie as if Nicholson is the crazy one. But you could you have, have to watch Nicholson... it you have to watch it that way first in order for the Wendy theory to hit you. But see that would be as fine. Hard as it does. But it could it would hit you just as hard if during the phone call he just said, hey, and he said, there's a story where these guys killed each other up here. Isn't that crazy? Okay, I'll see you at dinner. Right? Like, that doesn't take away from Jack Nicholson's entire arc on the, like, on the main level reading of The Shining. And it would leave the door more open to interpretation for the Wendy theory if it was actually a thing that wasn't just come up with on the internet. But I will propose to you that just as you could see a fun theoretical exercise within the confines of The Shining, you could see the same thing in Halloween. And so I present to you the off-the-cuff Loomis theory, where Loomis, <laughs> after 20 years of trying to convince the world that he was a great psychiatrist and this little kid that never talks was not sexually triggered into a rage kill of his sister, but instead the literal personification of evil, he, in his spare time, coordinated subtly the training of Michael Myers in hand-to-hand combat and uh, evasive driving, okay? He facilitated, you know, a transfer at a time that he knew the security of the thing was going to be vulnerable, and he coordinated with Michael to allow an escape that would then provide him with a car he knew how to drive so that Loomis could then express what a great doctor he was having predicted all this problems and then gone to Haddonfield to stop Michael Myers from what calamity he knew he would cause because they discussed it and practiced for it. And then during all of this calamity, Loomis in on the whole thing distracts the county sheriff by keeping him at the Myers house where he knows Michael will not be while he performs all these murders, because if he doesn't perform the murders, then Loomis wasn't right. And then, once Loomis knows that the time is right, and enough murders have taken place, he then 
alerts the police to the presence of Michael and the presence of the car, which he should have seen the whole time. And in the great finale, with the police present so that he has witnesses, he uses blanks to uh, scare Michael. Oh my God. Who then leaps off the top thing as they planned, lands on the ground long enough for anyone who's around to see him hit the ground, and then skitters away to make Loomis look like a fucking genius and to get his end, which is escape from federal custody. Okay. It's all there in the text if you just you, add no, stuff to no. the text. You just presented you just presented a textbook straw man argument <laughs> against the Wendy theory. <laughs> you are comparing the Wendy theory to something that you can just pull out of your butt on the spot. Well, my butt is rather full of wonderful ideas. Uh, this was not a straw man argument. A straw man argument would be if I presented a flawed version of the Wendy theory and then argued against it. Instead, I presented the actual Wendy theory as I saw it on that video you sent me, and then a similar Halloween argument. The problem here is that the Wendy theory has no more standing than a YouTube video, and guess what? Most people listening to this are watching it via a YouTube video. So here's the thing. If you make up stuff at the beginning of a story that's not there, and you make it supported by later coincidence, it's invalid, as are both theories. It's very think, interesting. I think that the but, the disagreement here is stemming from Dan your lack of. Uh, Keep in mind, he hasn't even seen the thing. We exactly, watched. that's the, that's the point. <laughs> he hasn't we're seen it. we're arguing two different things because right. I have seen the Wendy theory and I have seen the the movie again after watching and the examples the Wendy theory with right. the examples and that are in plain sight. And I have I have done the the the. I, I've put in the time to give this theory a chance, and I believe it to be true. That was really awesome what you did there, And Dan. you are arguing against <laughs> this theory without actually having given it the time of day. And the only thing that you can do is make a straw man against it. <clears throat> the, and therefore, I win. The thing is with what Dan said, because that was very long, drawn out, <laughs> really, really. I just let well him. Improv. I just let him go. Yeah, I hit great. every high point of yes. Loomis's arc. But the only, the only difference is, and I think this comes from the fact that you haven't watched what we watched. Everything you said is not in the movie. Everything you said is just conveniently something you made up that could make up for missed time or whatever. The only thing that's not in this Shining movie that supports the Wendy theory is the power of suggestion that you're saying didn't happen on the phone call. I need to rewatch the documentary or whatever to see if that's even talked about because every single thing else is addressed it's in the film there. on screen. Not speculation, not you know, meetings in a cafeteria where Loomis had Michael trained how to drive. Like, all that stuff was great, but it doesn't, su it's not supported by any imagery in the actual film. It's just like it's something speculation. That you made up. Yes. The stuff that comes with the Wendy theory is based on things you saw on film, not stuff that is happening in her head and what she's thinking but it's actual things that are on screen, which makes it look like 
uh, Kubrick did it on purpose. But see, the, the problem is that Kubrick is a good enough director that he will make choices visually to create both, one, continuity between scenes, especially when setting up shots in different parts of, say, a, a giant hotel over, say, like a three-year shoot. So there will be subtle differences that he can't control, that he will work his way around as best he can. But he's also going to create situations that make a viewer uneasy. And some yeah, of the things definitely. that you've pointed out in the past would be great things that you would do to make a viewer uneasy without explicitly telling them, you should feel uneasy right now. Instead, you've just changed the background subtly to where your brain goes, wait, this isn't right, but I don't know why this isn't right. But the, the skill of Kubrick in making an audience feel like that doesn't necessarily validate the theory that connects all these things together. And the problem is the fundamental thing that I saw looking up the Windy Theory in my first toe dip related to that phone call with Windy your, your only and what had to dip. be seen. And that's as far as I had to go because I realized if it's not in the text, uh, you know, if it's not in the movie, if it is not explicitly said, but the theory relies on the fact that it is an explicit like part of the story, I don't think it does, though. That's how it was presented in the thing I was I reading. So here's what I'll tell you. At some point in the future, I will the phone explore. Call. It doesn't depend on that. I will eventually explore the Windy Theory. It's just who has time. Because you know how detailed I'm going to be destroying every argument within that video. <laughs> we oh, just it's going to take hours me watching days. a movie we saw three times. I would love it. This season. <laughs> but, I would love for you to destroy it. But here's real. the thing about yeah. my Loomis theory. That I, I I off the cuff went through it, but I've been I've been thinking about it for years because if it had been the Bat Dan version of Halloween twenty eighteen, I might have gone down that road with Loomis. Yes. But of course yeah, he's not sense. available, right? So maybe if it's nineteen eighty eight instead of uh two thousand eighteen, maybe we do that with Loomis because there's enough there that is just unexplained that if you are going with the plot with him as the hero, everything kind of makes sense, but there's just gaps. But if you would at any point in that narrative, stop and think Loomis certainly knows all the things he needs to know to be in all the right times, all the right places. And yet still isn't successful enough to prevent any of this calamity. And at the end of the movie, all he is is right the whole time. So the only thing that I added that really is like, like the windy phone call, not in the explicit text. Instead of him saying, well, someone maybe gave him lessons. Maybe that someone is Loomis. And then, you know, the blanks, we assume those are real bullets, but we don't know. Those could be blanks. That would make it more like the scene that they lifted that blocking from in Knife of Ice. Spoilers for Knife of Ice from 1972. And... I mean, there's really not much else you'd have to add, right? Loomis is the one who's in the car at the escape. Did Loomis set that up or was it just them following the law? Well, that part's not explicitly said, but if you go with the one, the one windy phone call bit, the one assumption that isn't in the text, and that assumption is just that Loomis is setting this up for his own self-aggrandizing. That's I the only that, that's the only pill you have to take to get into suddenly everything seems a little more suspicious the way he acts. Why does he stand outside that house for so long and not do anything with a car right down the road? Why does he finally come to the rescue just in time for 
one witness to see him be a hero and yet still not help them apprehend Michael Myers. And the retcon stuff, I mean, obviously with the newer series, they've done a lot of work to add detail as to what happened after the movie to explain how they apprehended him. But that's not in this movie. This movie, he's gone. True. And maybe he's a spirit ghost, you know? But what's more plausible? I mean, if we're going hard plausibility, what is more plausible? That he is some kind of super demonic evil apparition that can just exist in the ether? Or that he never got shot. That some someone highly competent is helping him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the only thing that I would say, and the last thing that I will say, sell is, books. is the difference, I think, between your theory and the Wendy theory is uh, you take the, the, um, the Loomis theory takes things that, that you assumed and turns them on their head. Right, and it depends on things that you see not being as they are, as you see them. They're not as you see them, right? Wait, like with the blanks, you assume they're real bullets, but are they? Right. In the Wendy theory, you see things that don't make sense through the entire movie, and then. When you look at and when you watch the movie again through the lens of the Wendy theory, now everything that you saw that didn't make sense makes sense. But mm-hmm. to to your point, you see a man shot six times and he doesn't die. And you see a man carrying a gun with a permit, standing outside a house alone, smiling to himself. Despite the fact the clue he needs to help find this mysterious killer is within his eye line the entire time, and he doesn't act. So, much like your Wendy theory, you're seeing things that don't make sense on the film. <laughs> All right, cool. So, we agree that there's things in Halloween that don't make sense. Unless why why are you taking shots at Halloween now? Dale? I love Halloween. See, I would just chalk it up as sure. a low, low budget film. They made it in yeah. eighteen days. Yeah, and me they too. Just didn't follow yeah, continuity. but then The Travis... Shining they shot it over the course of a bunch of years in a I bunch know, of it's different really parts of the unfair. same hotel. So it's, it's really like unfair. you know Stanley Kubrick had entire electrical systems drywall removed, <laughs> spackled, repainted. Actually, technically... When he could have just moved the couch. Travis. <laughs> no, that's not No, true. he just moved when everything. They, when they say, like, the, and then lights, put it back. the light switches were here and now they're not, it's not like he had to have them removed and spackled and stuff. He could have shot... the You know, the wall doesn't have light switches in it, right? Right. And he could have, for this shot, put a plate on the wall. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. no electrical. There's no real light switches. It just looks like light switches. Right. And you put it up for that shot. You shoot it and you take it down. Okay. It doesn't have to be like drywall repair and like moving electrical systems. I'm sure they didn't do that. It's just wherever they wanted a light switch where there wasn't one, they put a fake one. That and then they purposely took it down. No, I, I agree that could for another shot. Could possibly be it as well. Which is a great why? way to why? create But why? You know. But why? There's a good explanation for that. Why? It's the, the Loomis theory. theory. Right. 
Yeah, I got you. But also, we're not talking about a set. This is a real existing building with, <laughs> with real a bunch existing of rooms that fixtures. are probably duplicate. And so when they have to shoot in a different room than they did for the last this, take, maybe the, the scene I'm talking about is place. a grand ballroom, uh, major atrium of this yeah. building. It's not one of the hotel rooms that you can make 10 of. Like this was where he's typing. I'm typing when I'm in here, when I'm not in here. That scene is in a major uh, atrium of that building that is, you could go in today and see where those light switches are if you wanted to. Mm, that's true. We should do that. So it's not Actually, like, that would yeah. be cool. You guys should visit that. And then while you're there, you can realize that if you were trying to make a movie <laughs> about a man going insane, you might do things like move light switches around or whatever else they do in the atrium without having to reach for this alternate theory that's a fun theoretical uh, intellectual exercise, but not related at all to the things that happen in the movie. Listen, and equally, Wendy with Munchausen syndrome is so much better. And than equally, Jack going I was insane. gonna say, and equally as plausible, if you were making a movie about a woman going crazy, you would do an all abused the same woman. You would do all the same with things. Munchausen syndrome. All right, let's move on. Yes. Okay, we're it, we're not gonna. I mean, Dan's no, not gonna. But that was really not gonna budge. That Dan really, episode. Dan really should. Yes. Uh, give Wendy Theory the time. This of day. just in. We will revisit the Wendy Theory. We one. will yeah. eventually revisit the Wendy Theory. And in the meantime, if you have to watch Halloween '78 for the third time this year, George <laughs> and Travis, go in looking at Loomis this time and wonder to yourself, like, is he on the level? I've I, always wondered that, but I always just thought it was. I, I chalked said, it up as I said it last week. I was like, I'm not a hundred percent sure that this Loomis guy is a. Well, they you touched know. on it was with, with Sartan. Like a yes, lot, they did. Basically, Sartan is the Loomis theory. Yes, a little bit, but he's he's interesting. Sartan has more nuance than you'd think he would, because he doesn't necessarily seem like hell bent on evil so much as he is like understanding evil at any cost, including violence to other people, right. like willingness to let Michael do his thing. So that he can witness it as Loomis did and understand it. It's just a slightly different reading. Controlled experiment. Cool. Travis, do you have any others? Any other movies? Well, I tried to go like the route of like the stalker, you know. In the end, it's a fun exercise. The thing about Halloween is it's always the right answer if you want to watch a movie with your friends because it's not too gross for the people that can't do gross. It's not too sexy for the people that can't do sexy. It's scary, but not too... It's not The Exorcist, right? Like, you're not going to give people nightmares. It's like the perfect balance of all the things for a spooky, but not too scary, violent, but not too violent, sexy, but not too sexy movie for the widest possible audience of adult viewers that you can cast. And until uh, somebody else can find me an 85-minute movie that is just as effective and just as fun... Uh, I'm gonna say Happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah. Terminator was my other guess. Terminator mm. is fun. I never saw Terminators. It's that same premise. So yeah, I'll be back. We'll talk about it when we do Terminator. Yeah, I guess we will. What are we doing next week, guys? What are we doing next week? Do we want to finish out? With our post-fall break slasher like we did with Prom Night last year? Or do you want to go straight to something like Showgirls? 
You mean like with <laughs> Sleepaway? <laughs> well, that's what I'm, yeah, Sleepaway would be my okay. something like show as well. I'm I'm avoiding showgirls like COVID, so. <laughs> well, I, I would be happy to do a little postscript on fall break and do sleepaway camp, which is one that I, I know we've had some interest from some potential guests. I'll cast a net and see if anybody gets ensnared in it. Um, but sleepaway camp from 1983 would be a really interesting uh kind of way to to wrap up the fall season and move toward uh, less slashery things. I'm down. Yeah, that might be the way to go. So as I hinted at the end of the last Halloween episode, we are doing Sleepaway Camp for our next regular episode of the show. I can't guarantee that it won't be the last episode we do once George has seen Sleepaway Camp. He may be forever changed. That may be the end of us, but uh, thank you for joining us on the Remedial Film Class Halloween special, as I so valiantly uh, defended our friend Halloween against an onslaught of really good movies that aren't quite as good to watch with your friends as Halloween. I think that Loomis theory is holding more water than I expected it to, but I look forward to hearing from you in the comments on YouTube and Hit me up on the Facebook group. Let's chat about the Loomis theory. Let's not chat about Sleepaway Camp until George has seen it. Come on, guys. Let's not spoil anything. Uh, hopefully, that isn't the end of us. But if it is, I mean, come on. Is there a better way to go out than Sleepaway Camp? I can't think of one. Except maybe Showgirls. <laughs>